Welcome to the Curiosity Solution. I'm your host, Beverly Beal. Join us as we explore the science of curiosity, share stories of people who've used curiosity to improve their lives, and maybe inspire some aha moments along the way. Hello, hello. Hi, Vidya. I'm so happy to uh, have you on my show today. Uh, Vidya Murthy is really quite this a very brilliant woman that I met through some of my dealings here in the Austin, Texas area. Um, and I, I, it was really a chance encounter at a roundtable session uh, at one of the um, uh, Vicki Goodwin. She's the representative of the Texas House. And uh, we were talking about um, cultural needs, you know, how women business owners and all this. And anyway, Vidya is um, someone who has such a wonderful, well-rounded global perspective that her richness of experience was something I just had to share with my audience. So Vidya, um, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what, why the curiosity solution is basically something that you use yourself on a daily basis? Well, first of all, thank you so much for for having me here, Beth. And uh, it's it's a pleasure, and I'm delighted to be on this podcast and talking with your listeners. Uh, my story is really pretty simple, and uh, the fact of the matter is, I came to the U.S. Uh, I was born and raised in a in a middle class family in in South India, and I came to the U.S. more than 25 years ago. Um, and education was everything to me and my family. So I did manage to get two master's degrees, um, including one at Michigan State. And my background is really in communication and public relations. I joined a firm in, in Detroit and was the head of their client services for North America. And I was moved back to Asia uh, to manage their Asia Pacific division. And uh, did that for many years while I became an entrepreneur and life brought us back to Austin about two and a half years ago, um, a little less than two and a half. But yeah, that's how long I've been here in Austin. And I have my own company here, Cluru. And uh, I think what really drives, I think, my desire to be in, in conversation with you, Bev, is the fact that... Um, you know, I was looking at the tagline, and I think we are all oranges looking for a rhyme. And that's what called out to me. And I think what what appeals to me is the fact that somehow, perhaps along the way, that all of us have now come to a point where we have we are beginning to hesitate to be curious. And maybe it's because we're all already flooded with information from so many sources, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and there is that information overload. So uh, because we already have access to so much uh, information, I just think that there, that leaves us less time and mental space for intentional curiosity. You know, that that's a good point because um, the information that we're constantly receiving often has no wisdom associated with it. Uh, and plural, I mean, I'd like to know a little bit more about where you came up with that name, how, you know, what, what you know, the background behind that, but um, the, the wisdom part, um, when you're talking about all these different experiences, you know, getting, getting the two masters, which, woo, that's impressive, first of all. Um, uh, you know, and and having gone to all these different places, managing you know, so many people and so many projects, how do you take all of that information and distill it down into this essentially the wisdom piece? How when you're when you're going through it and you're you're, you're talking about the curiosity and how you're almost afraid to even ask for the question, ask you know, well, how do I this and that. How how does that show up in your physical body? What is your uh, you know is that a, is that part of your process of figuring out? No, is this a route that I need to explore more? Is this or is it is it more of a an intellectual exercise? How does that show up for you? 
Thank you for that uh, question, Bev. But I think it would help uh, to talk briefly about the nature of my work. Uh, okay. So I manage two companies. One is in India and one's here. And we serve global clients. I have clients in, in, in India, in the Philippines, in Malaysia, in Europe, uh, you know, Switzerland, Poland, uh, certainly here uh, in, in the U.S., uh, California, Michigan, Texas. And um, we are in the business of professional development. We try to help people become better versions of themselves at their work, and we help people enhance their non-technical skills. So whether you know you are trying to uh, become better at decision-making or strategic thinking or communicate better or manage your emotions better in the workplace, or you're trying to champion diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace, um, or your team is trying to work with uh, another team in another geographical region of the world, uh, cross-cultural communication, that's the kind of training that we do. And I work extensively in, in three segments. So I work with community colleges, I work with the corporate world, and I work with nonprofits. And oh, those okay. are the three broad segments, and I've worked with community colleges for years. Um, in that backdrop, when you are trying to help somebody uh, take one step closer towards feeling more gratified as a human being, more satisfied as a professional, uh, more joyful uh, on the planet as they live, work and play. And it is a tango of all of these holistic elements, I think. Mm. Um, the only thing that, that serves me well um, is good intention and curiosity, which is followed up with a tremendous amount of effort. And that curiosity needs to be based on, on respect, first of all, right? And, and second, it has to be followed up with action. And that's why I'm so passionate about education because I'm a student every day. And in order for me to absorb all of this knowledge about companies, different domains, uh, people, their roles, look at the global geopolitical landscape, which is, you know, constantly and rapidly evolving. And you're trying to take all that information and then find an appropriate way to weave that in and deliver that in a context of receiver-orientedness, you know? So you take all that information and you deliver it in a way that makes sense to the people that you're talking to. And you understand the, the consequence, the human, the emotional, psychological consequence of what you're trying to teach them. And that's where I think the wisdom piece comes in. Because when you translate knowledge into uh, information that's usable in life situations, for personal growth, for spiritual growth, for, for social growth, then I think you need to find that element of, of wisdom uh, so that you can connect to people um, in a way that it makes sense to them. And mm -hmm. again, like I said, uh, to me personally, intention is the dominating force uh, that, that I think drives the nature of our impact that we have around the people. Um, that we all come in contact with. So I, I hope that kind of, you know, answers your, your question too. Yeah, it, it does. Um, you know, I, I'm going to kind of circle back a little bit. You, you know, you talk a lot about, um, you know, business development, professional development, but a lot of the words that I'm hearing sound uh, more almost as personal development. Now, I personally believe that personal development and professional development go hand in glove because whatever you're dealing with, you know, if you have like a, if for example, you have a, a person has unresolved issues from their family of origin, and then suddenly they have a boss that reminds them of their mother or father, uh, that dynamic can come in and cause issues with, within just, you know, that, that, that relationship, which, does impact personal or professional uh, development. Do you address anything like that? Or is it more, um, 
kind of outside of that per, that realm? Um, you know, Bev, a lot of my girlfriends, uh, we are now having children. Our children have all grown up together and they're at an age where they've all begun to date and date seriously because they're all in their early 20s. And um, I heard my one of my friends tell her daughter that the man that you date is the same man that you're going to marry. And, uh, and, and so, you know, she was trying to explain to her daughter that uh, don't think that things are going to dramatically change uh, the day that, that you get married, right? And I'm going to bring that example into our discussion here. Uh, the Vidya that's talking to you right now is the same Vidya who gets up and goes to work, is the same person who, who is a mom, who is a wife, who, who manages a home and, and a social life. I don't think that you can actually distinguish between the two. You cannot have one personality that's at home and another personality that you magically conjure up from thin air that you take into work. That's not going to happen. So all I will time, disagree with you a little bit. For the most part, you're right. Most people are, uh, you know, what you see is what you get. I know I certainly am. And we all have, have um, seen people who, for whatever reason, feel like they need to wear a mask, whether it is... Um, the a, a personality that it feels as if you know they're having massive imposter syndrome, or if they are uh, someone who uh, neurotypical individuals often have to find a way to wear a wear their 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 typical mask um, uh, when in fact they are neurodivergent. So that is a, an area where there is not the same person that you're dating as opposed to the person that you're marrying. But I kind of digress a little bit on that. Um, when you are, and like, even when you're talking about helping people understand other cultures, do you find that uh, some of the, that your, your client base is having to kind of, again, mask up? as a way to fit in or to be understood rather than, you know, teaching people to be more respectful. Have you had to help people through that issue? Sure. Um, I will answer that question, but if it's okay, I'd like to address the, sure. the point that you made before you asked me the question. Uh, I think communication psychology indicates that um, all our external, I think, impact comes from four different aspects. And the first one is values. The second one is attitudes. The third one is behaviors. And the fourth one is opinions. So it's values, attitudes, behaviors, and opinions. And going back to what you were talking about is wearing that mask to work. You know, the mask to work is only possible with behaviors mm -hmm. and, and what you say and what you do. The other three, the values that you have, the attitude that you wear every single day inside you, and the opinions that you have, which you may or may not voice, you know, those three don't change from the time that you're at home to the time you go to work. So I think, I think that was one of the distinctions that I'd like to make first. Mm -hmm. And then... Um, Talking about your second question, um, you know, in terms of people uh, interacting with people who are different from who they are, um, I do see that, like with most other aspects, um, everybody seems to be uh, different in this respect. They are people who, uh, who unfortunately prefer to not step outside their comfort zone at all. Uh, you know, and, and if I am, let's say, a person of, of, uh, of Filipino descent, I just want to be with other Filipinos and anything else makes me uncomfortable. And that's not necessarily based out of disrespect or dislike or anything. It's just a preference. Mm -hmm. And then there are others, um, you know, people like me, for example, the more different you are, the more um, I'm motivated to to know you. And, uh, and, and that, I think, enriches my, my 
point of view. And it enriches me as, as a person, as a professional, and which is why I think I'm able to connect with, with so many people across the planet. And, uh, you know, uh, I was talking to an, an educator in Finland and, uh, you know, she and I have, have come to become best friends. Uh, you know, and, and one of my best friends here is, is, a, is a person who's almost 70 years old and ex-CIA and a Caucasian. And he and I have nothing in common, but I'm not kidding. We can talk, you know, till the cows come home. And, uh, and I think that if people were open to learning from people who've had life experiences different from theirs, um, the most sobering discovery is to eventually find out how similar we all are. You know, Beverly as a mother is really not that different from Vidya as a mother. Right. 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 I I and I love that. See, and I'm I was one of those people in college that if you were from, of course, again, my background was very, very uh, limited in, in, in exposure to people. There were 15 people in my high school graduating class. So the opportunity I had when I got to college to meet people from other backgrounds, uh, you know, and, and other ethnicities, it was I was like a kid in a candy store. And loved, I, you know, that's, that's where that, that curiosity really drove me. Um, because, you know, as a child, my curiosity was fed through books because we didn't have the internet. Um, I was that weirdo who loved to read the uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, even though it was old and outdated. I was thrilled that I had that. Um, how about you? I mean, you do have this insatiable drive to to learn and, and and expose yourself to new ideas. Was that something that you were that was rewarded as a child, or was that uh, something that you developed later on? Well, I grew up in a society that was predominantly homogeneous, you know, because uh, we were all raised in in this small city in in South India where everybody, you know, we all dressed the same, spoke the same language, ate the same kind of food, and celebrated the same festivals predominantly. But yep. having having said that, um, I think that um, when you are transplanted from one part of the globe to another, and over uh, the course of maybe two, two and a half decades to have been fortunate enough to have been working with people from so many different nations. Uh, I have come to believe that it is not only a prerequisite for me to be able to just be uh, competent at what I do, but I think it is rewarding on a spiritual level, on, on a very deep level. And it allows you to connect with humans uh, in a way that has unfortunately become so rare. Uh, once you break the, I think, the mold of, of having to have these surface level conversations and you, you know, are really talking to the core of a person and they're able to see your core as well. Um, I think the power of that organic strength is, uh, is so immense and so rewarding. And once I saw that happening, you know, the more it happened, it kind of you know, snowballed and, and I think resulted in, in who I am today. But I so respect that about you as well, Beverly, because I have noticed you and, and I've been seeing you at so many different events, organizations. We serve on the same board as well for Texas Women in Business. So, uh, I've seen you and the way that you move around the room um, and, and how open you were uh, to me first, you know, when you saw me and how warm and welcoming that you were. Uh, and, and I think that those are the kinds of things that uh, I think eventually people remember about us when we leave the planet. That should be our true legacy. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I could not agree more. Uh, the, the thing that you bring to the table, though, as well, is um, your 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 questions are they're they're in that, that that wonderful middle zone of being soft and penetrating at the same time, and 
I think that was one of the things that that I appreciated uh, the most about getting to know you some more is uh, because you you don't push back or you don't excuse me you don't hold back but you're not um, you also hold people accountable so like if they say something that you don't agree with you're like okay well I hear you and and then you share your side of things, which in, in ends up being a far more educational experience, which I believe is also a big reason why some people shy away from asking the questions, from indulging their curiosity, because at least in my perspective, too many people have this preconceived notion about how things are supposed to be. And if they ask questions, they might learn that their reality has been built on shaky soil. And I don't feel as if you have any fear of that, that it's more of a, oh, I get to learn something new. Yes. What else? What else can I learn? Okay. Did, is that, was that uh, information that I had before? Was that the right thing? Nope. Okay, great. Moving on. And, um, you know, speaking of moving, you know, you, you clearly have had to move uh, quite a long distance, you know, many different times. What did you learn about doing those moves, especially like this latest one coming to Austin where you, you, you know, like we said, you have your children are now in their, their 20s and, you know, adulting on their own. Talk to me a little bit about how that move to Austin was for you, especially as you're in this transition you know, becoming an empty nester and, you know, seeing the, the, the children going off on their own, because that was a weird experience for me. Um, and I'm curious how it was for you. Yeah, so um, that's a great question. Uh, you know, this whole move back to uh, the U.S. was actually pretty unplanned. Uh, from the time that my husband and I thought about it to the time that it really happened, it was less than four to six months. Oh, and wow. neither of us had ever been to Austin before. So, uh, which was our, which was, and we hardly knew much about Texas. And so uh, we did not want the Michigan cold or the snow. And uh, so that was one of the driving factors. Uh, in this, in this whole move, you know, we bought the house online and we had no idea, you know, where in Austin this house was, how it really looked. Uh, and uh, we, we had done a ton of research um, you know, on the communities that we wanted to live, but there's only so much you can do when you're still living in the other end of the world um, about a city that you've never been to. So um, about the move, you know, I think there are, it goes in three different phases. The first phase, I think, Beverly, is purely logistical. You know, it's it's getting to your new house, getting the, the dig set up, and yep. making sure that the networks and, you know, you have somebody to mow the lawn or whatever, right? And, you know, what day is trash day and you figure it all out. And and then you're figuring out the logistics of your life, you know, where you're going to do your groceries, blah, blah, blah. So you get, that's the first phase. Mm -hmm. yep. And that phase is more physical because you're actually lifting, going, trying to figure things out. Um, the second phase, I think really is the... Um, is the emotional phase. The emotional phase comes after the physical phase because you're like, and you just exhale at that point. And you're saying, okay, so from where do I start to build my tribe right. you know, of men and women? Where do I start? I don't run into high school friends here. I don't have my teachers, my college mates, my alumni network. I don't have the organizations that I used to serve with. I don't have my colleagues. I don't have my team. And, and so that is leaves you in a very vacant space emotionally. So you try to pick yourself up from there as, as a phase too. And then the third phase, I think really is the mental and the emotional phase and the mental and the professional, sorry, the mental and the professional phase and the mental and the professional phase is where am I among who am I? What can I do? to make this place better and what must I do? They're two different questions completely. And all of that is driven by curiosity mm -hmm. based on respect. 
which is why when I moved here in June of 2021, I think through December and early 2022, I was dealing with the logistical part and the emotional part. And then when I knew that my kids were all settled, my husband started his work, my home was fine. Then I'm like, okay, so it's phase three. Let me first find out who I live among. And it was with that respect that I reached out and it was uh, a lady by the name Rochelle Grossman, who was my first meeting on January 14th last year. And that was my first coffee. And I just asked her to give me a list of organizations, meetings, events that I could go to. And every time I wouldn't miss a single event. And I would always follow up with the coffees. I set myself a target of having three coffees a week. There were days that I had three coffees a day. And wow. I networked. And I, I decided to actually do this geographically. I did the Leander area, the Cedar Park and Round Rock area. I did Lakeway and my community. I live in Steiner Ranch. I did SoCo, downtown Austin, Westlake. And I just found and, be, and became member, a member of organizations that catered to these different sub-geographical localities within Austin. And so I started to, you know, learn about how people here think. You know, in, in Michigan, for example, when you get up and go to a work meeting, obviously, you know, you're going to be wearing gray, blue, or, or and it's automotive, it's manufacturing, it's formal, and, uh, you know, you have to go in heels. And here, you know, I quickly learned that my business suits were not going to be used as much, that, you know, you could wear a, a, a jeans and a belt and just show up to a meeting and it would still be acceptable. And I got used to that and learned about that, that weirdness of Austin, right? And, and the tattoos of Austin and the food trucks and, and the wines in the afternoon and a beer if it's, uh, if you want to grab a beer. Yeah. All of yeah. that was so new. Hey, moving from Dallas. I mean, I lived in Dallas for 16 years and I completely agree that the dress code is definitely more relaxed here. Um, makeup is significantly reduced down here. Uh, but the food trucks, I, I'm still getting used to food trucks. Right. You know, when you, when you get, you know, the, the write-ups in the paper about the, the best new chefs and the, and they're working out of a food truck, I, it still is not quite computing for me. Right. Um, but wow, what an amazing systematic way of finding out about the community that you just moved to. And, uh, and what, a, what a great roadmap for anybody listening who is feeling that they have not found their, their footing yet in, in wherever they are, even if they're, they've been living in an area for many years. Um, that's incredible. Have you... Um, I mean, is this something that you offer to to your clients through your work and how to kind of really insert yourself into the community? Because I wouldn't have thought about going to, and doing all of those groups all at once, you know, just and like you said, just focusing on, on a geographic area. I, I, I typically tend to be a little bit more scattershot, which is not always the best way to, to go about things. Well... Um, just to, you know, finish that, that story that I was oh, telling sorry, you, I interrupted. sorry, sorry, I, I'm going to come and talk about this too in a second, but, um, after I had all of these coffees and attended all of these events, um, I started to make a list of organizations that I wanted to lend my time to, uh, and, and there were a combination of factors that helped me decide that one is where can I add value Two, uh, what will help my business? And three, are there any things that I am passionate about outside of my work that I can help if it leads to greater good? And the list of organizations that I came up for myself, you know, the Austin Businesswoman, uh, Wilco HR, the Leander Educational Empowerment Fund, which is the fundraising wing of the LISD board, uh, when I went and became a member of the Texas Diversity Council, um, when I joined uh, the Executive Council Network, 
um, the Network in Action group. All of these groups, all of these events, and you know, I attended provisors meetings. I attended, you know, the Metropolitan Breakfast Club meetings. And it was, you can't be everywhere, but you can get a feel for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and you can use your own parameters to select organizations that you want to be a part of. And you think that you can add value too. And once I drew up my list of organizations and started networking and offering and, and trying to do my best really in, in delivering that value. And therefore, by doing that, I garnered more visibility. And I started to build more relationships. And those relationships, again, were based uh, on on gratitude, on respect, because I was blown away by how warm people were and how giving people really are if only you're able to demonstrate uh, your good intention and, mm-hmm. and, and, and you're sincere about your effort and you're willing to work. Because it's crazy to manage so many different organizations, events. And I do a ton of public speaking, as you know. And Olga Adler of Austin Businesswoman gave me my first stage in Austin when she had me keynote at her gala. And and that, you know, kind of added and and started this, this momentum of me and my public speaking opportunities. And people have received me so warmly for my my Eastern philosophy as well as my as much as my my Western expertise and value systems. So I think uh, being at that intersection of the distinct uh, philosophies of the world and ways of living and bringing that to Austin and building these relationships, they have now, I think, given me a sense of identity. And identity comes and is it possible after age 50 to move to a brand new place and in less than two years have roots, have relationships and have identity? Yes. Yes. I, and you certainly have built some very deep roots because truthfully, I hadn't realized that it had only been less than two years when I met that you'd even been in, in this town. Let I thought you'd been you were a fixture already because of how you how you embraced the um, you know how you embraced the gardening of it all. <laughs> You're talking about roots, so you know again as someone who also is bringing a lot of um, Western sensibility as well as the Eastern. Uh, study of feng shui and Chinese astrology, you know, you're bringing in um, you know, the Indian uh, uh, viewpoints. And I know that Vastu Shastra is a kind of a sister philosophy to, to feng shui. Um, how did you have someone helping you find the house? Because you said you bought it online. How did you make sure that your house was conforming to Vastu principles when you were, were buying? Uh, yes, I think like many people of, of Indian descent, I uh, we do have a very strong and firm belief in um, in how physical spaces affect your reality, and um, we are very conscious about uh, our our own immediate environment, whether it's our workspaces or our personal living spaces. Uh, when we bought the house, we we had a realtor and. Uh, that person was just a genius when it came to Austin real estate, but didn't know much about your field. Mm-hmm. So what we did was we took the floor plan to a consultant in India and we knew we wanted, you know, the house to face a certain direction, uh, the pool to be, the water area to be in a certain direction, greenery in one side, the fireplace in one side, uh, where in the house is the is the stove, the kitchen stove, because that's uh, considered the center of, because the, the, the lady of the house, we believe, um, represents that fire energy you know she's the one who's traditionally responsible for cooking right so um, we assume that that fire god in the house is going to take care of not just hers but but everybody that she loves right and it's that immense uh feminine power that we believe in as well you know so so when 
we had to bring all of these aspects and, and marry them with the traditional aspects of home buying, you know, property taxes, lot sizes, the neighborhood, da, 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 whatever. So, um, so that's, that's how we did it. And uh, yes, I, I do believe in, in a lot of these things that I don't have proof of. I, I really don't. And what I do know is that it works. And if you will permit me, I'd like to share uh, one example of why I think it works. Absolutely. Share away. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So um, in spite of the fact that, you know, my parents uh, had me given me so much education, uh, truly liberal with my with my upbringing. I, I grew up with guys for friends, um, you know, whether it was college or whatever, but I did have a traditional Indian arranged marriage, which was a gamble any which way you looked at it. Yeah. But when you get an alliance, you know, from a prospective groom, the first thing that the parents do is they compare the horoscopes of the man and the woman. And they're able to assess compatibility on multiple levels, you know, mental, emotional, whatever, right? So they're able to, and my husband and I, according to our horoscopes, you know, we were really compatible. And which is why my parents decided to go forward and take the next step. And now, you know, nearly 26 years later, here we are. And Yes, I can tell that some of the things that that person who compared our horoscopes said 26 years before, uh, earlier, it still holds true today. Because what he had said about my personality and how my husband uh, would be supportive of that and why I needed a person with those traits, um, you know, so whether it's astrology, whether it is uh, feng shui, vastu, uh, sometimes even numerology, we believe that, you know, for things that you believe in, you don't need the proof. And if you don't believe in it, no proof is enough. Yep. So, I... so you know, it's it's crazy. I don't try to explain it. And I, and I don't expect, it's ridiculous to expect other people to understand it too, because it's, it does sound outlandish. <laughs> it does. Yeah. So, yeah. um, so I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I know when I first started studying feng shui, it was after I had, um, I had finished with all, I had breast cancer when I was young, when I was 36. Oh. And, uh, so after I finished with the, all of the, the chemo and the surgery and the radiation and all of that, one of my neighbors gave me a book on feng shui and that's how I got started with it. And my first thought was, well, that's a weird thing to give me. But, you know, when you go through an experience like that, suddenly it's like, well, why not? You know, every, I've done everything else to my body. Why don't we just try something? And it blew my logical Virgo, hyper-analytical, super-perfect, you know, hyper-perfectionist brain completely apart. And when I would follow some of the instructions in this book, based and just and within days what you know some, whatever i had been intending to happen would happen and then some and it was it was just one coincidence after another and i it was it was enough to kind of propel me you know, took that curiosity of well, wait a minute how am, if i can do this if this happens after just reading this a couple things out of this one little book what if I actually knew what I was doing? <laughs> what wow. could happen then? And that's when I continue to take um, courses. And it's actually also what propelled me to move from uh, practicing a westernized version of feng shui into the more classical, because again, I noticed that, oh, look, I have a red, uh, my, I painted my, my south facing door blue. Well, that's a water element, but the red, you know, the south is a fire element. I'm dousing our possible promotion uh, opportunities. Ah, uh, okay. So then I did that, and and it's like, oh, just it was as if the you know they say you say the dam broke, but it really did. It was like, okay, my husband got more, you know, uh, he got the uh, a lot more attention at work, positive attention. The kids started getting along again. Um, people started finding me more with uh, the feng shui work and with the energy work, the coaching piece. 
after, just after painting my front door. It's like, oh, dang it. I'm going to have wow. to retrain myself. And so I did. So after we moved here, <clears throat> took about a year, like you said, to to kind of get everything settled, get the house in order, make sure you know the lay of the land, where the gro good grocery stores are. Um, I started taking classes in uh, the classical, uh, even traveling to Malaysia, to Kuala Lumpur, to study with the, the teacher that I, I align myself with now. Beautiful. So yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting because a lot of what I'm hearing is even with the work that you're doing to help bridge the gap, you know, bridge that divide, the cultural divide, there are a lot of, of connections and, and differences of how we're approaching things that you can, a person can put words to, but it still is a feeling that openness, that, that being willing to, to engage and to explore that is still very much of an intangible mindset to me. And that's a difficult thing to teach to someone who is not used to that. Do you have any particular techniques that you use to help open the mind of someone who might have been a little more closed-minded in the past? Well, the one thing that, um, that I believe uh, about, about any kind of change is that uh, it has to start with self-awareness. Mm. And uh, a person sometimes is so busy going about their day-to-day -day life that they don't have the time to pause and think about where am I, uh, how am I, and how could I be? And once I think you call their attention to the possibilities that could be with minimal effort, um, I think my job is actually half done. And once I think that light bulb goes off inside their head, um, the second thing though is, is Beverly and that I'd like to talk about too is that um, oftentimes, uh, you know, there've been too many examples of people having tried to step out and and being hurt or being received negatively or have a negative experience. And that kind of embeds itself so deeply in their hearts and minds that they hesitate to engage in anything ever again like that. And that's tremendously unfortunate. And sometimes, you know, what is intended is not the way in which it is received. And that's where I think all of us are as humans today. Uh, and that's tragic because that impedes our personal growth so much. And so I, I wish that that I could change, but no, I cannot. I cannot change that. But yes, what I could do and what I try to do is uh, open people to the idea of possibilities. Um, talk about how things are done in, in other places. Uh, what has worked in other places? just alternate value systems and the results. And perhaps then, you know, they would be open to considering that there is more than one way to do anything. Um, the second thing that happens is uh, I'm, I also am very open and honest about my own life. And it's not easy to be in front of a room of strangers and tell them about experiences that you had uh, you know, how you were as raised as a girl child in a conservative society and how I transformed into very much this this Western woman who's, you know, like anybody else here, empowered in, in more ways than than I could even imagine. Um, and I and I become that vulnerable self. And the reason that you have to become that is so that people can see and learn from your own example. And that's mm -hmm. the most you can do in terms of being genuine. And I can tell them, look, I mean, I was here. I was screwed over. I didn't find a way out. And but but I'm here and I'm OK and I'm more than OK. And, uh, you know, and so I think that the second one is, I think, a, a certain amount of of demonstration of open uh, and honest feeling and life experience. I think that is a second tool because you'd be surprised about how many people can connect with your experiences as 
a daughter, as a wife, as a mother, as a teacher, right? So that's my, my second thing. And the third thing that, that really helps Beverly is because I was raised with so less. And um, my parents didn't have materially a whole lot. Uh, you know, we weren't terribly poor or anything. You know, I, I wore nice clothes and stuff. But, you know, there weren't no vacations or anything like that. But my life was not materially lacking um, in it, maybe, you know, like I would get one pair of shoes that would last me a couple of years, you know, that kind, that kind of upbringing. Clearly your feet didn't grow as fast as mine did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's true. Which is why I don't like standing next to you, Bev. You're so tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what can but, I say? I'm a tall girl. Uh, yes. And beautiful. But, uh, but I think that the, the third part is when I come to a society that is materially so blessed and yet sometimes emotionally quite vacant in some spaces, it breaks my heart. Everything that my husband and I own, you know, we owe to America. So I am always operating from that plane of gratitude and uh, for a sense to give back and do what I can. And that is why I think uh, along with the data that I use in my professional development programs, the academic theories, the case studies, the role models, the exercises that I use, I back that up with wisdom. And I try yeah. to get that wisdom from conversations that I have with people who are phenomenally different from me. See, and it's, it is that, that spirit of gratitude that is always present around you. And it is, and again, that's one of the, one of the things that has always drawn me to you is you, you, you work hard, you, ex and, and you, you receive beautifully. Not, ev not very many people know how to receive, uh, well, it is sad um, that receiving has been almost demonized in certain uh, areas of our country. You know, it's great to give, especially your cast-offs, but giving what other people need. And that's, uh, that, you know, that so they can receive it and, and, and be able to do something with it. And Vidya, that's one of the things that I, I would love to help you find more opportunities for you to share your message in uh, speaking engagements. And so uh, what I will do in the show notes is put a link to your, your um, contact information so that other organizations might be able to find you so they too can receive this wisdom that you are so filled with and that you share so generously. Um, Thank you. So Vidya, is there anything else that you would like to share with the with us on um, today's podcast, as far as you know, how how all of these experiences has it changed how you are a mother? Has it changed how you have you know are approaching um, friendships? You know how how is that? You know, I'm curious about all of the study that you've done about building community, about bridging differences. How does that translate to your world? as an individual. I'm going to go back to what I said before, right? Uh, Beverly is essentially the same person wakes up at home and the same person goes back into work. So the same person from work is going to come back home. Um, and I also believe that when it comes to uh, your personal relationships with every stage of your life, your relationships evolve. You know, when I was newly married, my husband and I were you know, of one type. We were roommates and, you know, then we became parents and we fussed about the baby's cold and, and you know, we, we raised that together. So now I think just like that, even motherhood, you know, changes with every, as your kids go through the different years, right? Mm -hmm. And what I can say is that in my entire experience now over the past almost two and a half years, moving to Austin, building all of these relationships, regardless of people's opinions on anything that's happening in the political world, in the business world, in the economic world, just being able to connect to so many people. Um, 
I think that our kids do as we do. They don't do as we say. And, and you know, if I want to leave any kind of legacy, my legacy has to be left in people, not for people. You know what I'm saying? I love that. And I love that leaving your legacy in people, not for people. Not for people. So I think it's the one thing that has helped me is I think my intention and my ability to build these relationships. But what I have received from women like you, uh, the men and women of Austin, the organizations, my clients, uh, and, and, you know, between now and October 20th, I have half a dozen speaking engagements, uh, not just here, but in Dallas and Detroit. Um, I work with, with community colleges because that is another podcast by itself. Uh, I've done so <laughs> for 20 plus years. And, um, and yeah, so I think, you know, if I'd like to leave a message back on, on, on this podcast, it's uh, one, thank you so much for, for having me on it and for allowing me to, uh, to voice some of my deeper thoughts in, in a very naked way. I thank you for that. And for a, a message for the listeners is, uh, you know, sometimes it's the differences that, that enrich us. It's uh, opening yourself to the possibility that something is uh, is actually true. Maybe feng shui is true. Maybe you can entertain that thought. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Maybe intermittent fasting works. Who the hell knows? But <laughs> what's what's the harm in trying, right? And, exactly. And that's all it is because you know we're just floating on this blue ball, and and we're all blessed to to be here and. Uh, Nothing's really that serious, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, oh my gosh, Vidya, you're, you're the best. You are, thank you so much for, for being here, for sharing so much of yourself with us. Um, I, I am so excited to see you as you continue to grow your, your, your empire, grow your sphere of influence. And I, again, anything I can do to help you share your message so that you can leave your legacy in more people. I'm just thrilled to be able to do that. So thank you again. And um, well, we may have to go explore that other podcast down the road. Sure thing. And and thank you again, Beverly, for helping me in, um, in more ways than you know. Oh, all right. Thank Thanks you. again. Bye-bye.